Welcome to Get Your Book Done. I'm your host, Christine Closer, a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author, award-winning publisher, and book writing coach to thousands. I love helping aspiring nonfiction authors write, publish, and promote their best books because there's nothing more powerful than writing a book to transform your life, your readers' lives, your business, and ultimately the world with your message. So let's get started. So welcome everyone to today's episode. I'm super excited to have you there. We're kind of talking about a different topic today. Um, as you may know, if you've been listening for a while, I usually support nonfiction authors to write their transformational books, but I also know we have people in the audience here who are writing fiction. So today we're going to be talking about writing fiction that matters. And I have the amazing David Congreve here with me today to cover this topic. David is actually a freelance copywriter and a ghostwriter, um, someone who I've actually worked with personally, so I can vouch for his amazing writing skills. And he has written for some of the leading names in business and marketing in both the United States and Australia. He lives and works in Leeds in the UK with his wife and at least three more cats than is strictly necessary. He is also the author as of September 15th. He is the published author of the book Pip and Kitten and the End of the World. So we are super excited to have you here today. Welcome, David. Hello, Christine. Thank you very much for having me. And you can't tell, but I'm blushing slightly with that introduction. Thank you very much for those kind. Can I get you to put that in writing for me later on? <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'd be happy to put it in writing for you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so where I always love to get started is I love talking to authors about how they became authors. Like what was that journey? Was it a, you know, childhood dream? Was it a flash, you know, lightning bulb moment? Um, how did it happen for you to have this book, Pip and Kitten and the End of the World, um, become a reality? So kind of a combination between all of those. Um, so I had a, a kind of a, a misspent youth, which was mainly spent in my bedroom for hours and hours, just reading and reading and reading. I, I could not get enough of books when I was, I was young and I still can't, to be fair. Um, so, yeah, I think I got to about maybe 11 or 12 and I just got it in my head that I was going to write books. That's what I was going to do. I was going to write novels for a living. Um, and I had my first crack at it when I was 13. Obviously, didn't get very far. And then when I was 17, I had a proper go at it. And it took me about four or five years, but I wrote my first novel by the time I was 21 or 22. And wow. I couldn't find a publisher. Um, I had some really nice feedback, but nobody wanted to take it. And I just kind of thought, well, I had my shot. And, you know, that sort of youthful kind of um, boom or bust, I just thought, well, I had a go and it hasn't worked. So I guess writing novels isn't for me. Um, and I just kind of got on with my life. And then um, about 13 years ago, I started writing professionally um, and that's gone quite well. And I just, a few years ago, I just kind of got the itch again. I had stories in my head I wanted to write and I just thought I'm going to have another go at it. Um, and here we are. So 42 years old and a little bit older than I imagined when I was 12, but uh, I now have my first book to hold in my hand and um, I couldn't be happier. Well, that is a pretty amazing story. I can't believe that you had your first book written when you were so young. That's amazing. You know, had your first crack at it and then the second one too, but th they say, you know what they say about the third one being the charm. So apparently <laughs> that might be true for you. And from what I understand, you actually wrote this novel in just six months. 
even though you're working full time as a freelance writer, I know because I've hired you to do some freelance writing <laughs> yeah. for me. Um, how in the world did you manage to get it done? Because I, I mean, one of the number one things that many authors say, you've probably heard this too from many author friends that you've got, and those of you listening, this might be actually you saying, oh, I want to write a book, but I don't, I don't have the time. You know, I have a job and I have a life and I have my business or whatever, and I don't have time, but here you did it in six months, you know, working full-time. So how did you do that? Inquiring minds want to know. So it was about, I finished writing about three years ago and I have a feeling, if I remember right, there was a lot of caffeine involved, <laughs> I think. Um, I think it's fair to say that writing a book is, is a learned skill. So each book you write, you get better at it. Um, I like to say your, your second book will always be better than your first book, but you can't write the second one until you've written the first one. So you've really just got to get on with it. Um, so I say the first, my first novel took me about four to five years to write. The second one took me about a year to 18 months. And then this one was only around about six months. It helped that it was a shorter book because it's a children's book. So it's, it's 60,000 words. So it's about half the length of um, uh, the other novels I've, that I've written. Um, but I think there are a few things that helped. The, the first thing was I had to make it a priority. Um, it's hard when you work as a writer and you're putting your heart and your soul into your client's work. It's very hard then when you've done that to then get your head around, right, now I've finished this work, I'm now going to spend an hour or two working on something entirely different because by then your brain's a bit mushy and it's hard to get yourself enthusiastic about it. But I just sort of got to the point where it was something I had to do. It was a story I had to tell. No one was going to do it for me. No one was going to make me do it. If it was going to be a priority, I had to spend some time on it every day. So I just I set myself the goal of writing just a thousand words every day, which is an hour, an hour and a half. Um, I'm not going to pretend to do it every day. If you do the math, then I probably did it on average every other day. Um, but that rhythm really helped. And it was a realistic target. It, it didn't feel like too much, but it felt like I made a good amount of progress every day. The other thing that helped was I had a really specific deadline. Um, every year I go to a writing festival um, in York in the UK um, and you get to mingle with authors and book doctors and various other people and I really wanted to have the book done before I went so I could show it to them so that that was a very specific deadline that it had to be done by so that really drove me and I think the other thing that really helped was that this was out of the three books that I've written this was the first one that I wrote in my own voice mm. the, the other two books were were written how I thought they should be written based on other books I've read in those genres and what I thought maybe agents were looking for and what I maybe thought publishers were looking for. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, but when you're writing in your own voice, it's like all the shackles come off. It just becomes easy. You don't feel like you're second guessing your work. You're not casting too critical an eye over it. You just, it just flows. And this was, it was the easiest book I've ever written because I didn't have to live up to what I thought somebody else's expectations were I could just be me and that made such a difference it just it just poured out to me like water so that's a horrible cliche but it just came out and like, like I said to you before I'm much better writing than I am talking so apologies for the uh, terrible cliches and metaphors I might come out with but that, that's what it felt like it just poured out to me um, and that just made it so much easier and now now that I know what my voice is and I found my voice I won't ever write a book in someone else's voice or in a voice that I think somebody else wants 
Mm, such a good point. And whether you're writing fiction, like this, I find this interesting because, you know, I have had people go through the Get Your Book Done program and use it to write fiction, but I've never written fiction. I don't think I probably ever will write fiction, at least from where I stand right now. Um, and I'm always like so adamant about how, how important it is for nonfiction authors to like write what they need to write. Like, you know, I always say like the, write that first draft as if no one's going to read it. Like, don't hold back anything, like just put it all yes. out there. And yes, it's really absolutely. beautiful to hear you talking about how true that is in fiction as well. And, you know, to quote exactly what you said, um, fabulous quote might be worth putting on your Instagram or something, but when you write in your own voice, all the shackles come off. Is that like, speaking about our topic today, you know, writing fiction that matters is that kind of what you're talking about there? Can you unpack that a little bit, writing fiction that matters and how it may or may not um, relate to this concept of having the shackles really just fall away as you claim and write from your own voice? So it relates to it in the sense that when you write in your own voice, it's coming not just out of your head, it's coming out of your heart. Sorry, terrible cliche again. But that, that is what it, it feels like you're writing something that means something to you. Um, in a, in a broader sense, fiction that matters is about writing a piece of work that doesn't just entertain, but also has something to say. And it's not that there's anything wrong with writing something that is purely just for entertainment. Because I, I think there's sometimes a perception that entertainment is kind of like the, the redheaded stepchild of um, the writing industry. As if, if you're not writing literary fiction, if you're not writing some important words of non-fiction, if you're not writing poetry, then what you're writing doesn't really matter. And I think that's an absolutely terrible way to look at it. Because when you think about it, ent to entertain means to, it means to divert someone's attention. And people read entertainment to divert themselves from their stress, from the problems that are going on in their life, from um, having a busy day at work and the head's full of things and we just want to switch off and just enjoy something. And that is valuable, that has value. So I think entertainment, it's, it's an important thing. It is important. And if you can produce entertainment that, that does that, but also leaves people with something that they can think about, something that sticks with them, um, I think that can be really powerful. And it, it's a medium that is completely different to any other kind of writing. And it, and it has, to me, just as much power as anything else. So true. You know, it's interesting. And I feel like there are some pieces coming together for me right now, because one of the first things I teach every one of the, our clients that come into our world and go through our Get Your Book Done program is something called the Transformation Quadrant. And it's where, whether they're writing nonfiction or we, like I said, we do have some that use the program to write fiction books. The four quadrants are really looking at what's the transformation that, that you want for yourself as the author What's the transformation that you want for your reader as they read this book? What's the transformation that you want for your business as a result of this book being out in the world? And what's the transformation that you want for the world as a result of this being out? And I know that sometimes my fiction authors, like they'll come into that, you know, reader section, the reader quadrant, and they're like, you know, they're maybe they're on a group coaching call or at a virtual writing retreat. And they're hearing other people talk about like these, you know, self-help, personal growth, um, you know, very much prescriptive nonfiction type of books that are, you know, specifically walking for someone from point A to point B to experience some form of transformation. And they're like, you know, but I'm quote unquote, you know, just writing fiction. 
And what I've, what I have said to them in the past is, you know, but when they're reading that fiction, they're having an experience like, you know, they're, they're, they're transporting themselves somewhere. They're with you. They're in that story. They're relating to the carriers, the, the characters, they've got this, you know, escape. They have this, you know, place to go, this new world to enter that will cause them to think and that will cause them to pause and that will cause them to, you know, to reflect. And it's just beautiful to hear you now, you know, talking about this, the importance of this as well. Yeah, if you don't mind, I'm going to give you a specific example because I haven't Great. actually said anything about what the book's about yet. So um, Pippin Kitten and the End of the World is a story about an eight-year-old boy who finds himself the sole survivor of a global apocalypse. So that's, that's the elevator pitch. Um, and this came about because I, I love post-apocalyptic stories and I wanted to write one for children. So this, this was a germ of the idea. What if there was an eight-year-old boy? What if he was the only survivor? What would happen to him? And from there, your imagination can go wild. So that was, that was the... And I think that's what happens a lot with fiction. You start with a story or an idea. But when you come to write it, if it's going to mean something, you also need a theme. You need... Usually that comes in the form of a character arc. It doesn't have to be. Um, but that was the first thing I had to figure out was if I'm going to take my eight-year-old Pip on a journey that journey has to mean something. There has to be some kind of um, emotional development. There has to, he has to learn something along the way. So I decided that what Pitt was going to learn was courage. Because when he starts out, he's a very timid little boy who is terrified of literally everything. But by the end of the book, he learns to stand up um, and be brave. And so when you have that theme, I just got goosebumps as you said that. Let me just say, like, oh, say that again. Yes. Sorry, <laughs> I said I again. just got goosebumps when you said that. Like my whole body just got this wave of goosebumps when you said, you know, when you, oh, excellent. Yeah, well, that's that, that's good. That's he good. Stands up, you know, when he does that thing that he didn't think he could yes. do. Like, yeah, and, and he pit. and he does it. He does it without giving the ending away. He does it to protect Kitten, who's his faithful feline companion. So that's. I'm not going to say it's an original story, but an original idea. But when you have that theme, that makes the rest of the story flow. Because anytime you're writing either the main plot points or the bits, things that happen in the middle, and you're thinking, where am I going with this part of the story? You just keep coming back to your theme. And you're thinking, how is what Pip's doing now going to relate to his overall theme? And it just helps center yourself when you're writing. So instead of meandering it off into a, a side stream, thinking, where am I going? I don't know what I'm doing with this story. You just, if you're not sure, just keep coming back to that theme. How is what I'm writing now connected to that theme? Or if, it, if it's not connecting to it, how can I connect it to? And it just helps keep your story on focus. And so someone can read that book, a child can read this book, or an adult, I've had lovely reviews from adults as well. But they can read the story and just enjoy the adventure of an eight-year-old boy in a world without electricity and running water and adult supervision. But if they think a bit deeper, they'll perhaps notice these little themes of, how does a child become independent? How do they find their bravery? What's going to trigger them? What's going to make them step out of their comfort zone? What's going to motivate them? And those are the little things that I hope will stick with the readers. And that's when we talk about writing fiction that matters, I think that's what makes, I think the best fiction has that. It has, the, has that extra layer that you don't need. If you don't notice it, that's absolutely fine. But for a reader who wants to dig a bit deeper and they find something, and that book's going to stay with them. 
I love it. So there's really like, there's two le levels. It's almost like there's the story, you know, the upfront story and let's go on this journey with Pip and Kitten, you know, and the end of the world. And then there's the, the other layer of like what's really going on. And it's almost like there's code, you know, in the book for the people who are reading with that, you know, deeper inquiry that they can really go in there and be like, oh yeah, like I can relate to this. And they can, you know, they can take it for themselves. Um, what they're seeing Pip go through and learn and discover. So I love it. Um, so any other words that you want to share on writing fiction that matters? I feel like we just covered a whole lot and not a whole lot of time. Um, but anything else you want to cover before I ask you a couple of kind of related but unrelated questions? Um, nothing specifically on that. Okay. Uh, da -da -da. No, I think we're okay on that one. Well, I just have to ask, did Kitten make it through the apocalypse or was Kitten a new friend post-apocalypse that Pip found? Kitten made it through the apocalypse. Okay, so the two <laughs> yeah, of them so made she, it she, together. All right. Yes, she, it's a grown-up cat, but he, he called her Kitten when she was little. I mean, she got big, but it was too late to change her name by then. So she's a fully grown cat. I like to say that K Kitten is the Yoda of the story. So she has no character arc. She's fully formed. She, she's essentially Pip's mentor who kind of... Who kind of um, subtly um, leads him where he needs to go. Oh my gosh. This, I, I'm going to have to go grab a copy. I'm going to say this to you all, go <laughs> grab a copy as well. Um, and you can do that. You can just go to Amazon. You can go to our show notes. We've got links over there to the book. Um, or if you just go to Pip and Kitten, P-I-P and spelled out A-N-D, pipandkitten.com um, slash buy you'll see there are links. I think you said it's available right now on Amazon US, UK and Australia, I believe. Uh, it's actually available on quite a lot more, but there's links to those three on that oh, okay. page. Um, but if you go to if like India, the South African website and or Amazon, then uh, yeah, it's on there as well. Excellent, awesome. Yeah, sounds like a phenomenal story. So thank you for sharing all of that. Thank um, you. So I am curious because I know you said, I think it was with book number two attempt, that you went out there and you know you tried to get a publisher and do that whole thing and it didn't happen and you sort of shelved the book, went on to your other writing career um, and just thought, well, maybe I'm not gonna do it. But with this one, you actually decided to self-publish. So can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, and I just have to say that it's so beautiful in the publishing world that we live in today. There is not a single person on this planet. So yes, you listening, I'm talking to you. There's not a single person on the planet right now who can have an idea for a book and not have a way to get it published. That was the reality. Not too long ago, when you think about how long the written word and paper, you know, ink on paper has been around. Um, it wasn't too long ago that you couldn't get a book published unless you sold it to a traditional publisher. So now you know, in this world, we have the beauty um, of self-publishing, hybrid publishing, indie publishing, like what we do here at Kapusha. And it, you know, like, so if you have the idea, like it, you can make it a reality. So you chose to self-publish. Would you talk to us just a little bit about how you made that decision for this novel? Yes. So I'll be quite honest, self-publishing was always my plan B. Um, I really wanted to go down the traditional publishing route, mainly I think because I'm the kind of person that needed that or wanted that validation of somebody in the industry saying, yes, this book is good enough to publish. Mm. Um, and I've had some, some very good feedback. I've had, it was shortlisted for a couple of awards um, a couple of years ago. Um, I had some really nice feedback from agents who said they liked it, but 
didn't want to take it on for whatever reason. Um, and it's, it's just, it's a very hard industry to crack. Um, agents receive hundreds, sometimes thousands of submissions a week, and they will usually only take on one or two clients a year, um, if, if any at all. So you can have a situation where an agent might absolutely love your book personally, but if they don't think they can sell it to a publisher, they're not going to take it on because they only get paid if the publisher buys it. And the big publishers are very risk averse. They're far more likely to take someone on if they already have a massive mailing list or a massive social media following, or if they're already a celebrity in another um, in another field, and that's understandable because that's that's a safer bet for them. Um, most books by new authors don't make money, so publishers have to swallow that. So I wanted to go down that route, but it, it just didn't happen. Like I say, I had some really good feedback, but it it wasn't it wasn't wasn't going to be. Um, but I've kind of I kind of made my peace with self publishing because. Um, Everything I've learned about self-publishing over the last couple of years, it, it doesn't have to be seen as an inferior option anymore. And in fact, there are a lot of advantages to self-publishing that you just don't get with a traditional publisher. With a traditional publisher, you essentially, you sell the book to the publisher. They, once you sell it to them, you've got a contract, they own it, at least for a certain period of time. Whereas self-publishing, you have all the control still. So just, just as an example, when I was designing the cover, for the book. I did my research on children's books and had a look at what the sort of popular style was. And I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like the way children's books look, look like, because in my mind, I'm seeing the books I read when I was a child and they were very busy and very colorful and with lots of detail and lots going on. And probably there's a very good reason from a marketing sense why um, publishers aren't using that style. And maybe if I was smarter, I'd be following that. But what mattered more to me was producing a book that I could look at and be really proud of and feel really good about. Mm -hmm. So instead of having to fight with a publisher and say, you know, I really want the cover to be this way, I'm probably losing the argument. I could just go out there and get the cover exactly as I wanted it. And that's what I got. I had a clear vision of what the cover was going to be. I found an amazing artist uh, called Jessica Blythman. Um, she's a, uh, a, a young Australian woman who's just incredibly talented um, and she's produced this beautiful cover. And whenever I show it to people, that's one of the first things they comment on is just how beautiful the cover looks because it's hand-drawn on a computer but it's hand-drawn it looks unique it looks special um, and that's something that wouldn't have happened if I had gone down a traditional publishing route so self-publishing yes it's our plan B but it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like the the booby prize I feel like this is something this is going to be something that's very good for me and also I think it doesn't have to be one or the other anymore mm -hmm. um it doesn't have to be one or the other. If, if you self-publish and the sales go really well, um, there's no reason why you can't then approach a publisher who can then explore taking it into wider markets or taking it into, into, um, into foreign markets. So there's, the, there's lots of options and it doesn't, self-publishing doesn't have to be the sort of like a nail in the coffin. It's a really, really powerful route to market and it still keeps all of your options absolutely wide open. It, it sure does. Like we had a client, Jordan Gross, we published his book, The Journey to Cloud Nine. You know, we did a stand up job for him. He was so excited. He's like, oh my gosh, this book looks and reads so much better than I ever thought it would. And, you know, with us as an indie publisher, he retained all of his rights, all of his royalties. He could do whatever the heck he wanted, um, you know, with this beautifully produced book that looked like it came out of Random House. Um, but he did so well with that book that the next book he did sell to a traditional publisher. 
Um, wow. You're like, oh, dang, yep. how can you yep. come work with us for the second one? Because we have some clients who do come back for second books and we have someone coming back to help have us publish their third book. And he was like, well, because that one was so good. Like I got a traditional deal for the next one. So I'm going to go do that route now. Um, so it does, it does happen. And, you know, like you said, the beauty of going self or indie, and I think with some um, hybrids as well, like you still have a lot of input, um, you know, no one's like with a traditional publisher, they do, they own it. They can change the title. They can change the cover. They can even change the content. I, um, did an interview not too long ago. Those of you that listened to my um, episode with Coop Blackson, right. He had signed a deal with a publisher, a traditional publisher. And then they had pretty much told him what they wanted the book to be, which was very different from his original vision. And he had to negotiate his way out of that contract. He's like, that's, that wouldn't be my book. And they're like, well, that's the book that we want you to write that we know we can sell for you. He was like, I don't care how many copies you sell. Um, and he, and he, you know, got his way out of the agreement um, because he just couldn't write the book that they were just telling him that they wanted him to write. Like you said, right. When you write in your own voice, right. All the shackles come off. And then he did later get a traditional publisher for, you know, for the next evolution of the book. So it is, it's, it's a, it's a powerful journey to be, to know that no matter what there's, there is no barrier to entry anymore, but also, like you said, David, there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of inferiorly, if that's a word, is inferiorly a word? <laughs> inferiorly. Well, it is now, it's fine. It is now, okay. Inferiorly... Professional writers are allowed to make up words. So... <laughs> right, I'll invent it's, it's that no one. <laughs> um, self-published books, like there's a lot out there that are not done well, that look self-published, that, that I think do give this whole realm of self-publishing um, a little bit of a bad reputation because it, you know they're not edited, they're not designed well. You need know, to crack open the spine. You've got to like really bend the pages to be able to see the words because they went too close to the <laughs> you know the spine in the middle. There's a lot of that yep. junk out there, unfortunately. Um, but yeah. from what well, I've one seen of the in your book, it's not that at all. It looks like it came out. Thank of you. A yes, house. one of the things I did in preparation was um, for my networking group, set up meetings with different people who'd self-published fiction. Um, and just pick their brains. Um, and some people gave me some great advice. Some people, it was more telling me all the mistakes they'd made, which was actually very useful as well. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I always, whenever I spoke to one of these authors, I always made a point of buying their book as a kind of thank you. Um, and then just looking at what they produced. And yes, these are some of the things I noticed. You could tell when the writer had perhaps tried to do a little bit too much of the work themselves mm -hmm. rather than getting professional to do it. If the layout isn't done by somebody who knows how to do a book layout it's one of those things a good book layout you won't notice it because it just looks great but if it's done badly you will notice you know it, it, is. Looks, <laughs> it looks it does not look good um the worst one I saw was um a lady who had made quite a, a serious grammatical mistake um and it appeared on almost every page in the entire book and she had she'd had a proofreader I know because she thanked the proofreader her, her acknowledgments and I couldn't help thinking, that's nice, but maybe you need a different proofreader next time um, yeah. because they really should have caught this one. And it's incredibly distracting. Um, so it's just these little things. There's only so much you can write the book yourself, but when it comes to the proofreading and editing and the design, unless you are trained in those things, don't do it yourself. Yeah. Find, find someone who knows what they're doing and will do a super job for you because 
it doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg, but it, it makes all the difference. It's a difference between it looking like you say, like, like it's self-published, like it looks amateurish, and something that looks like it was done by one of the one of the big uh, publishing houses. Absolutely, absolutely. So I love that what we're talking about today was writing fiction that matters. And I also know that those of you listening who are um, nonfiction authors, because I know you're out there for sure, um, I really feel like there's a lot of really good um, wisdom and juiciness and uh, nuggets for you to take away for your writing, even though you're not writing fiction. So I feel like we started with writing fiction that matters, and it really just went so much broader to I think really contain and reach out to and encompass all of the fiction and nonfiction writers out there. So before we wrap here, which we're coming to a close, what would you say, David, is the single most important thing that you want our listening audience to walk away with from this episode? Um, I would say, oh man, I'm going to use a terrible cliche again. Just be true to yourself. You don't have to write the book that you think other people want you to write. If you feel the urge to write a book, then then do that. The, the very first novel I wrote when I was 17 just purely came out of the premise of what if I what if it possible to write a romance book where the main two characters do not physically interact at all? It was just a crazy idea. I had no idea if it would work, but I just wanted to try it. And there's nothing stopping you from doing that. And you'll get more satisfaction from writing a book that fulfills your vision and what you want to do, and that is in your voice, then writing something that you think is going to make money or that you think an agent is going to respond to or that you think might be a gap in the market because it's so hard to predict that. It's so hard to predict where the market's going to go. You're just as likely to miss as you are to hit. So my advice would be to put all that aside and just write what you want to write. But also... Don't be afraid to put in things that matter as well. Don't think just because you're writing fiction, those kind of things doesn't, don't matter. Put in the storylines and the themes that mean something to you. The main character in my book, Pip, he isn't based entirely on me, but I. it's probably, no, it is the most personal book I've written because there's more of me in Pip than any of the other characters I've written because writing in the voice of an eight-year-old child I realize it's quite hard to do. So I kind of had to imagine what was I like when I was eight years old? And so how would I respond in these different situations? And in doing that, it made the whole book become very personal to me. And I know mm. that made it a better book. I know that for a fact, rather than trying to imagine something entirely new that doesn't exist. You know, let's say, write what you know. Well, I was writing about me and about my childhood experiences and what it would be like for me if I was an eight-year-old stranded with no adult supervision and what that would be like wow. and when you do that you end up with something more important and I think and this is why I'd never I've never gone back and thought about self-publishing my first two novels because I could see there were problems and I could see maybe why they wouldn't quite work in the marketplace but this one I couldn't put it away it had to be published and if that meant self-publishing well, that's what I was going to do and I'm almost sure that's because it had more of me in it than anything else. It had my voice and it had my story. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I love it. I hope you all wrote that down or just etched it in your own heart and soul. Be true to yourself. It might be a cliche, but it is necessary on this journey of writing a transformational book, fiction or nonfiction. 
Um, being true to yourself is how you're going to write that book that changes lives, that makes an impact, that gets people to think maybe just a little bit differently um, as a result of spending time with you on the pages. So um, beautiful. Thank you so much, David, for your time. Again, just a reminder for everyone to head over to the show notes or go to pipandkitten.com slash buy um, to grab your copy of David's amazing book. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to getting a copy and um, reading it as soon as I can, which uh, it's not always easy for me to read as many books as I want to, but um, this is certainly one that I do want to check out. So thank you, David, so much for your time today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me, Christine. It's been lovely. Of course. And for those of you who are listening, thank you as always for being someone who is on this journey of writing a transformational book, right? You want to write fiction or nonfiction that matters, right? That has impact, even if it's, you know, for the sake of entertainment and escape, or, you know, you really want to help someone like heal something big or change something big in their lives. Like you're doing that. You wouldn't be here listening to this particular podcast on book writing if that wasn't what you're up to. So thank you for being someone who's up to that type of book writing in the world. And until next time, write powerfully. All right. Bye for now, everyone. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Get Your Book Done. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about today. And if you want my help with your book, head over to christinecloser.com to learn more and get a free copy of my book, The Transformation Quadrant, which will show you how to blueprint your book in 15 minutes or less. The Get Your Book Done podcast is where the leading conversation is happening for transformational authors everywhere. And I'm grateful you tuned in. 